Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And it's a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison uh, to a group of new believers who had been experiencing God move in their region. These people had been seeing people born again. They've been seeing people water baptized. They've been seeing new families being added to their church daily. This was happening. And uh, it, it, it reminds me a lot of what we're seeing here in our church today. Just like us, we've been seeing people born again every single week. Did you know, we just, I just looked at, the, at, at the, the updated count, 157 people have been born again since January just here at this campus. 57 of those have made it public through water baptism like you saw last weekend. 16 people last weekend uh, were water baptized together. And uh, just like that church we read about in our Bibles, um, we're seeing new families added to the church daily. I got a text message from Pastor Sean on a Thursday uh, last week or the week before. Um, and he said, he, he said here's, here's the count for today. I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, salvation's three Water baptisms, one. This is a Thursday. So, of course, you know I'm calling him trying to figure out what, you know, where, where are you going? And, and here's, here's the thing. We've got some men getting together regularly throughout the week, and God is moving in, in their lives. Three of them born again in a small group just during the week. They were having a conversation about next steps from salvation in that small group and uh, Matthew wasn't even attending our church when he was invited to attend that group. And as they were talking about salvation and the next step from salvation, um, he, the importance of water baptism came up. And uh, he wasn't in church. It wasn't a Sunday. It was a Thursday. But Terry had a pool. And so they, they, they jumped in, and Matthew got water baptized, hadn't darkened the doorsteps of our church, but got water baptized, proclaiming a, a faith in Jesus Christ. That kind of stuff is happening daily. And I love pastoring a church where life change doesn't just happen on Sundays, but happens daily out there where life happens. And we, we learned last week that God had a plan all along, and that his plan wasn't just to give me a new identity, but it was to give me a new identity so I could engage others and include others in my spiritual walk. We've, we've entitled this series, not a brand new me, but a brand new we. And when God changes you and gives you a new identity, he doesn't, he doesn't just change the way you see yourself, he changes the way you see everyone else as well. And that's what we're learning as we dig in verse by verse through Ephesians. We're going to continue today in Ephesians chapter 2. There's 22 verses in Ephesians chapter 2, but I think we're only going to get through about the first nine uh, in the time that we have here together. So open your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. And, uh, you know, starting verses 1 through 3, it makes me smile reading, reading this passage. I'm going to put it up in just a second. 
Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who's really, really excited about what they're telling you about, and it's like they're stringing all their words together so fast you can barely keep up? Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me when I talk to my kids sometimes. Like, and dad, and then we did this, and then then this, and then then this, and then I'm like, whoa, slow down a little bit. I'm sure what you're saying is very important, but when you put it all together like that, it's hard for me to see. I think about that when I read the first three verses of Ephesians chapter two. It's like the Apostle Paul is so excited with what he's about to tell us, he puts it all together. The first three verses of Ephesians chapter two, verse one, two, and three, there are 75 words that make up just one sentence in the Apostle Paul. Look, look at this, it's crazy. Ephesians two, one through three. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What? That's a lot. And those of you that, I'm looking at a couple of English teachers in, in the room, one specifically who's, who's given me a, a frown. That doesn't make for good grammar putting all those words in, in one sentence like that, but I think it's going to make for some good preaching. Are y'all ready to dig in? Let's do that. Let's, don't worry, I'm going to help you. We're going to break this all the way down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and part of 2 says this, and you were dead. Can you say that with me? Dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Question, were you dead before being here? I mean, like, literally, were you dead dead being here. It's a confusing thing to think about, but Paul's talking to new believers and he's saying, hey, you were dead and then this happened. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember being dead. I think for the most of my life, I've been alive. Genesis 2.17 tells us God is, is talking to Adam and Eve and you can hear, he says, you can eat of every tree in the garden except for one of them. And, and, and of that one, he said this, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, those of you that know the rest of the story, when they did, did they die? Answer? No. Did God lie to them? No. Then what was the difference? How, how can you die but not be dead? And here's the reality we realized back then in that story that applies to what Paul is talking to us about now. He said, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually. Spiritually, I've, I've talked about it this way. You know, we, we, Kayla and I had the privilege to be taken to Roos Chris for the first time many years ago, and I just couldn't fathom that a steak would be that good. Um, and, and, and so we sat there and we were waiting for the food to come out, and I'd kind of seen other people and they were enjoying it. And I'll never forget when that waiter hit the door with those 1,200 degree sizzling steaks bust through from the kitchen. Everybody turned to pay attention to what was, what was coming out of that kitchen. Even the people that had their steaks were paying attention to the new steaks. And when I smelled that butter and that pepper on that meat, I got hungry real quick. And I got to thinking about hunger and an appetite. And it made me think this way. If we were to walk into the Lafayette City morgue where they keep the dead bodies, and if I were to bust in there with 1,200 degrees sizzling sirloins hot off the grill into that city morgue. Do you think those people there would perk up and... <sighs> of course they wouldn't. Of course they Why wouldn't they? 
because they're dead, they're physically dead, and they have no physical appetite. And that's what we're thinking about here. That's what we're talking about here. That's the, that's the parallel that he's drawing. He says, when you're physically dead, you have no physical appetite. When you're spiritually dead, you have no spiritual appetite. It doesn't make sense to you that people would gather together from different parts of a community in one building on a Sunday morning to worship a God you can't even see. It doesn't click with you. Why they would be listening to certain music and not listening to certain other things. Why they wouldn't watch movies and television or go places on the internet that that they could go, but they choose not to, and they don't have a spiritual appetite when you're spiritually dead. Romans 5.12 shows us this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And this is what Paul's talking about. Before Christ came into your life and before you're born again, you may be living and breathing, but you're dead, separated from God, and no desire or appetite for the things of God. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked. Interesting word usage there, trespasses and sin. Sin in the language of Paul's day meant this, to miss the mark. Right, to miss the mark, to be unable to do something righteous. You miss the mark. That word trespass in the Greek means to fall aside. Our word, literally, English word, literally means to step across or to, to cross a line. And here's my question as I'm reading this. Why use both words, Paul? Well, why, if, if they're essentially one and the same, why, why take the time as you're breaking this out for us and helping us? You're so excited. You're throwing all these things together. Why use both trespass and sin in the same sentence to talk about where we were dead. And we see the same word trespass used by Jesus in Matthew 6. You, you, you know the phrase. He says this, if you forgive others for the wrongs that they do, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't, he won't forgive you. It's a relational context, this word trespasses. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. In other words, you were unable to live in reconciliation with God, and you were unable to live in reconciliation with others. Did you know that? Did you know that the quality of your life this way with God will determine the quality of your life this way with people? And you may not realize this, it works the other way too. The quality of your life this way with people will affect the quality of your life this way with God. Some of us are struggling in our relationships this way because we haven't fully surrendered what God wants us to do in our relationship this way. And some of us will realize that if we'll take care of this relationship, taking care of these relationships works a whole lot better. But that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were broken not just this way, you were broken this way as well. It's not just about me, it's always about we. But it's more than that. Death, dead doesn't just mean you can't, it means you don't even recognize you need to. That's the challenge of that word. You don't even recognize you need to. There was an open air preacher on a college campus one day sharing the gospel and preaching to anybody that would walk by and, and this young man contentiously trying to make an example or a point tells the, tells the preacher, he says, you keep telling us about the burden of sin, but I don't feel a burden. I don't feel a burden. Then he flippantly added, so tell me preacher, 
How much does sin weigh? Does it weigh 80 pounds? Does it weigh 10 pounds? He's hoping to get a chuckle from the crowd. And the preacher answered, son, if I put a 400 pound weight on the chest of a dead man, would he feel it? Thought about it for a second. He said, no, because he's dead. And the preacher responded, and the man who feels no load of sin is dead spiritually as well. Dead. Not only can't, but don't know you need to, don't even realize you've been separated. Almost seven years earlier from Paul sitting in prison, writing this letter, he would write this to the church in Corinth in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You and I were not dead to this world. We were dead to God. We couldn't see him. We couldn't feel him. We couldn't sense him. We couldn't know him or even get to him on our own. You were dead before Christ. Paul tells us in the verses that follows what dead people could do. And let's look at this. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked following. What were you following? He's going to tell you. The course of this world, and you were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out, or in other words, following the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's three things that dead men follow. Here's the first one. Dead men follow the world. They follow the world. Popular culture, what, what everybody else is doing. And you may be looking at me and say, Pastor Don, I don't follow the crowd. I just recently came across this article. For 40 years, Burger King, their slogan has been, have it your way. Well, they changed it recently. I don't know if you knew this. Burger King changed their slogan from have it your way to now it just be your way. Quoted from the article, Burger King says that the new motto is intended to remind people that, and I quote, they can and should live how they want any time. It's hedonism. It's, it's this idea that you can do it your way, the way you want. And, and it seems very personal, right? It seems very individual, yet it really isn't your way if everybody else is doing it, right? You, you know that? You see, you see young kids who, who try to dress differently than their family does, thinking that I'm my own person, I've got some individuality, and I want to look like nobody else looks until you see them at school with all of their friends, and they're all dressed the same. Are they really being individualistic? when they're following everybody else. Here's what I need you to know, a dead fish can't swim upstream. It must go along with the current. And that's what happens when you were dead. You think you're leading yourself, but you're not. You're actually following what everybody else around you is doing. Here's the second thing dead people follow. Dead, dead man follows the enemy. That phrase, the prince of the power of the air, in Ephesians that we read there, that, that refers to Satan, who's now at work in the sons of disobedience, or in other words, non-believers. He's all, oh, Pastor Don, I mean, come on. I'm not following Satan. By independently living, by living independently of God, 
with no fear of God in your heart, you're effectively choosing to dethrone God and in his place you've enthroned somebody else who's perfectly happy to lead you in a way that makes it look like you're following yourself, but you're really not. You gotta be careful with that. You're not following you, you're following the enemy who's happy to make you think that you get all the credit as long as the glory isn't going to God. Dead men just follow the world and they follow the enemy. And here's the third thing this passage tells us, that dead men follow. They follow the flesh. They follow the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body or the flesh and of the mind. You've heard the phrase, the devil made me do it. Did he? I mean, really? Well, Satan's attacking me. I get it, but, but listen, there's, there's only one Satan, and he's not everywhere at all times. And, and, and I know that he's probably not spending his time with T-Boy down on the bayou when he's got some other things to do. Who are you really following in that moment? Did, did Satan make you do that, or is there, is there something else at work when you did those things that you knew you shouldn't? Do James tells us this, James chapter one. says temptation comes from, look on your screens, comes from where? Our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Look at this. So don't be misled. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Make no mistake, church, the spiritually dead are still spiritually led. You're either led by the world, you're led by the enemy, or you're led by your own flesh. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he said, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were following things you didn't even know you were following and didn't realize what was at stake because you were dead. Let's pick up verse number three. It says, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. Man, what a big phrase tucked right in the middle of that. Do you have a but God in your story? Man, I do. I do. Here I was living everything right on the outside when inside I was just so far from God. Did everything I could to make everybody around me feel like I had it going on together, but I was miserable. I was miserable. I didn't see any way out of it. But God came and rescued me and showed me that there's a way I can live on the inside the same way I'm trying to live on the outside. And man, I'm so grateful for that but God moment. How about you? You got a but God moment? I was lonely, but God came and he put me in a family. I was lost, but God came and he helped me. I was broken, but God came. But God, being rich in mercy, it tells us, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he did what? He made us alive together with Christ. You and I were dead and weren't only not following God, we had no way to get to him. Paul tells us in this passage, we were made alive. It was his action, his work in our lives, not because of anything that you and I had done or could do. And he continues right along, and he goes on to say it this way, by grace you have been saved. 
by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only made alive, but raised up. And not just raised up, but given a place of prominence, seated right next to him. When you were given this new identity, he didn't just give you a new nature. He changed your eternal address and your standing in heaven. That's what happened. Thank you, Jesus, for that. He said, but, okay, but why? Why me, Pastor Don? You, you don't know what, what I've done. You don't know my past, and you don't know where I'm at. And, and the very next verse, verse number seven, tells us why he did it, why you're worth it. Let's look at it. It says this, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I was sitting on the front row at the tail end of worship when Tyler came up to share with you guys what God had put on his heart. And I'm smiling ear to ear because I know what God put on my heart to tell you in my message. And I didn't know what God had put on his heart and he hadn't read my notes today. But to think that God would do something in us so that he could show other people resonated with both of us this Weak. There's a world that does not know God and can't even see him. They're dead. But he has kindness and grace that is immeasurable. How will they see him, church? By looking at you. I love how biblical scholar Howard Honer says it this way. He says, sinners who deserve nothing but God's wrath become trophies of his grace. Man, that's such a good phrase trophy of his grace. My dad was a professional marksman. He was a a professional shooter growing up. Shot rifle and pistol and shotgun, semi-pro, pretty much my whole life um, growing up. And I remember all the sponsorships and all the ammo and and all of that, the fastest and the most accurate guns that you could have, he had. um, But in his shop, where he would reload his ammo and keep his guns and, and all of that, he also kept his trophies. And his, his trophies represented decades of shooting awards that were on display. When you walked into his shop, you, you saw these trophies. And here's what stood out to me. There wasn't a trophy just cast along the side in a box somewhere. There, there wasn't a trophy holding the door open like a doorstop. No, all of the trophies were, were kept together and they were elevated. They were raised up and put on display and, and all of them were kept together. When you look at these trophies, they, they told a story of his growth as a marksman. You could walk along the, the way and see when he won in B class. And then later on, it was in A class he was competing in one. And then from A class to master class. And then from master to grandmaster awards that were there. Early on, there was pistol trophies. And then, then later, there was rifle trophies also. And then shotgun trophies. And then trophies where he competed with all three of them. And it didn't matter how big the competition or how big the transformation. My dad esteemed every one of those trophies the same. And he had every single one of them on display for others to see. And I remember watching people listen to him talk about guns and shooting and his sport, whether at a restaurant or in passing. But people always responded differently when they hear him talk in front of his trophies. 
It's as if they could see something. He's, he's an expert in both instances, but a trophy says, this isn't theory. This is proof of real life existence. And God is trying to speak to people. And what we're doing, we're reading, this isn't an academic exercise and God could change you if you understand. I want you to look around. This room is full of people that this isn't theory anymore. This is active, real life participation. God has done it and is doing it. And on display for everybody in this room is a room full of trophies of God's grace because he's done it. How crazy would it be if that trophy decided it would just get off the shelf and go hide somewhere and not be there for the one who made the trophy to be able to celebrate and share? And I wonder how many people would would feel a little bit of credibility to what they think God might be doing in their life if they knew somebody like you that was willing to share what God's done in your life as well. Paul's telling us, he says, all of this that God has done for you, he's done so that he could show others the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness that's available to them. You're a trophy, a real life, actual, proof is in the pudding miracle of God's grace and kindness toward you when you were dead and unable to get to him. He came to you and this room church is filled with real life trophies of what God can do with a surrendered heart dead and raised to life a new nature given with an eternity in heaven let's get back to our passage there's a truth tucked in between verses five and six that's so huge Paul had to restate it and expound on it and here's, 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 here's the truth. You aren't spiritually alive because of what you've earned. You're not. You're, you're, you haven't been saved because of what you've done or what you haven't done. You don't get to heaven by being a good person or doing all the right things. You don't. This is, it's huge. It's right here in the middle. He's throwing together all of these verses and this nugget he realizes, man, I think I may have understated it when I told them, by grace you have been saved in the middle of that sentence. So he comes back. Here's what he says. Look at this. All six lines we're putting together. But God, we just read, because of his love for us, he made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us with Christ. It's his actions, not ours, that determines the outcome of our eternity. And in the end of verse five, he says this, by grace, you have been saved such a huge idea and it's so instrumental these new believers in Ephesus had to get this so he repeats himself in verse 8 and verse 9 that we're about to read here's what it says for by grace that grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one can boast you can't brag about getting to heaven You couldn't get there on your own. You can't brag about being able to stand in church and say, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, and whatever words you want to say in that moment. It wasn't you. You were dead. You couldn't get to God no more. You didn't even know you needed God. And he came and he rescued you. And Paul's saying this idea that by grace you have been saved is so huge. Don't miss it. 
you couldn't do anything to get that grace, you can't do anything to lose it. We struggle. Look at this. Passion Translation says those same two verses this way. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will be ever be able to boast. For salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. I had the privilege this week to go sit down with Isaac and Bree. And go visit and hold little baby Harlem. And, uh, who's almost two weeks old now. And uh, we were sitting there talking. Yeah. He looked like a different man, don't he? I walked up to him to give him a hug and said, show me the bags. Let me see the bags under your, under your eyes. Let me see them. And we were talking and, uh, you know, this Harlem's his first son. And um, I asked him how it felt being a dad. And his big old smile came on his face. He said, it's unbelievable, Pastor Don. It's unbelievable. He said, there's nothing he could do that would make me love him anymore. I love him so much. And I responded to him by saying this, there's nothing he could do to make you love him any less either. That's the love of the Father. You're a trophy of his grace. And he loves you. And he's proud of you. He's proud of the work that he's done in your life. Maybe what he's done in your life isn't as much as what he's done in somebody else's life, but he's just as proud. And he wants you on display along with everybody else that he's done. A trophy of his grace. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Just listen to my voice as I share some more thoughts with you that I think God is speaking to us. Salvation isn't something that you earn. You'll never be good enough. It's a gift that he's given because he's good. And before God initiates a work in our lives, scripture says that we are spiritually dead. We're unable to see and unable to respond to his grace. John chapter three, Nicodemus is speaking to Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, Jesus says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We just read that we're dead and it was God that made us alive. You see, dead people can't see that they're separated from God. God gives you the ability to recognize your need for him. You say, well, Pastor Don, how do I know that God's grace has begun to work in my life? I'll tell you, it's this way. You have an appetite for the things of God, a desire to know him more, a desire to grow the desire just to find out more about him. And when God allows that to happen in your life, there are three things that you're able to do that you haven't been able to do before. Here's the first one. We say it as simple as A, B, C. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner. That as a result of your actions and your decisions, you have separated yourself from a loving and righteous heavenly father. Before, when you were dead, you didn't even care. You didn't even notice. But when God does that work in your life, you start to realize, now, I I can admit that. I, I have sin in my life. Here's B. 
when God works in your life, you can, you can believe that he sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life, the life you and I couldn't live, to pay a debt that you and I couldn't pay. Because of his son Jesus coming to live for us, we can now spend eternity with the Father. You, you didn't so much as have an appetite for that before God started to work in your life. You believe and then see, you confess. If God's not working in your heart, you can't confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, things may be bad enough in your life where you may realize, man, I'm struggling. I need help. I need a Savior. But when God starts to work in your life and you realize that He is Lord overall, now you can confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the Lord part that's important. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I don't have a relationship with Jesus like you're talking about. I don't know that if I died, the first face I would see would it be the face of Jesus. But I'll tell you what, Pastor Don, I see something today that I haven't seen before. And I'm feeling something spiritually that I haven't felt before. And I want to have that relationship with God. I want to I be like Jesus said. I want to be born again and born of the Spirit so I can be restored in my relationship with God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, would you, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me to be born again? I want to invite you from right, where, right there where you are. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. It's just me and you. I want to know who I'd be praying with this morning. I want to invite you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. But I do want to know who I'm praying with today. You want to pray with me to be born again. Raise your hand right now so I can see it. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Keep them up. Thank you. I see your hand. I see it. You may put your hands down one more time before I pray. You want to be included with those that just raise their hand to be born again. Pastor Don, would you play would you pray with me today? One more time. Raise your hand if that's you and you want to be included with those before. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. I see it. Church, we're going to pray together, and I want you from where you're seated, those especially who raise your hand, I want you to say these words after me, but we're all going to pray them together, indicative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate with those?